Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! Guys, welcome to a off-season live here on Dime Dropper. Before we get started, you already know the drill. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper and hit the notification bell so you know every single time I go live or post a video. And if you're an LA sports fan, this is the place to be. If you're an NBA fan, this is also the place to be. Hit the subscribe button. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Dime Dropper Pod. 26 people watching on Twitter. You've got to be joking. Get off Twitter. All right, listen. I'm going to delete the video, okay? There is a link underneath the tweet that you're watching. Please click that link and hit the subscribe button because this is where I make my bread. Nothing from Twitter. So please do me a favor. The link is underneath. I put it there just for you. So let me delete it. Better hop into the YouTube because there's no way Twitter should have more than YouTube. That's not how it works over here. All right. Shout out to everybody here on the YouTube though. Let's see how many we got. 19. Hopefully more coming from Twitter. But anyway, we got a lot on the agenda tonight, ladies and gentlemen. A lot on the agenda. I'm going to say it right now. We got the Malcolm Brogdon trade that happened and then didn't happen then we got the actual trade that happened with marcus smart going to memphis oh my goodness so much to talk about cp3 going to the golden state warriors like what the fuck are we talking about here and then the draft Wembanyama, scoot henderson who the clippers got kobe brown and last name miller i already forget his first name from miami and then max lewis for the Pepperdine Waves, who again, I worked for Pepperdine, watched almost all his home games in conference this year. So I can talk. I, I, there's nobody I know in the draft better than Max Lewis. So if you're a Laker fan, you came in the right place to listen to somebody who I'm giving you the honest opinion of why he slipped so much, too. There's a reason he slipped so much. But then P, the latest rumors of the Clippers, I'm going to end it off with that. PG, Russ, and then Lou Williams retired recently. And so I got to give him some flowers. So. Let's get right into it. Super Chats are turned on. If you want to drop a dollar or a dime, every donation is appreciated. You know, always trying to work hard for the people. And remember, you guys can find all my playoff recaps from the season in the playlist section of my YouTube channel. Everything, Every single thing is there, including Dime Dropper, or should I say Dime Machine, which are my old school breakdowns in chronological order as I journey through the NBA and its history. I want to document it for you guys so we can have more context on these debates about all-timers and whatnot. But let's get right into the episode, starting with the Malcolm Brogdon trade. So if anyone listens to my Locked on Clippers podcast, and you should absolutely subscribe to that, Locked on Clippers, even if you're not a Clipper fan, support your boy. But on the Locked on Clippers podcast, I got a text in the middle of the show that we could get Malcolm Brogdon. And I was like, holy shit. I've wanted Malcolm Brogdon since last summer. I don't know if I have a receipt of it on the lives or on a video, but I had it on Twitter that I wanted Brogdon. And when the Celtics got him, I was like, 
God damn it, I wanted him to be our starting point guard, and then we bring Reggie off the bench. That was what I was, the pipe dream going into last season. Obviously didn't materialize. Looked like we were about to get it, and maybe the even better part of the trade, that we were finally getting off Marcus Morris. His contract, his attitude this season, and just overall him not being good enough to consistently be not play well enough to for me to trust him in the rotation anymore. So I was really happy with that. The only tough part was we were giving up the 30th pick and Amir Coffee, and I really liked the brewmaster. And the trade was Porzingis going to the Celtics. So since Michael Winger's gone to Washington, we saw with the Bradley Beal trade, which please remind me to talk about before this episode ends because I don't think I actually talked about it on this platform because my last video was the Jerry Sloan highlight video. You guys should check that out, by the way. I worked hard on it. Um, And Jerry Sloan as a player, come on. There's no way you've actually watched him play. So you should check that out. But anyway, Malcolm Brogdon, right. So the Celtics got Kristaps Porzingis. The Wizards are clearly doing a full-on sale you know they're finally rebuilding and you love to see that if you're a wizards fan a clear direction they're trying to tear it down and look these last couple of days i think they've made out pretty well now it started with the beal trade that i thought was pretty shitty i mean with beal's no trade clause he basically had all the power because he could veto any trade now my biggest thing was i wanted the miami heat to get bradley beal i guess you know what fuck it we're just going to start in chronological order with the beal trade I was shocked that he was going to Phoenix. I saw the rumor, Miami or Phoenix, but I thought that Miami was the better fit for him because they still need one more score. I think he could take a lot of pressure off of Jimmy and there'd be a nice scoring tandem. And I think Bam as the third scorer sounds like more of what could work for an actual champion. Because I think right now Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo as the one and two, they're not good enough scorers because they're always going to play someone like Jokic, someone at that level. So whenever everyone says, this guy could have won a championship if this and this didn't happen, or this guy didn't exist, like MJ didn't exist, or Kobe didn't exist, or if it wasn't for LeBron, this is what happens with goats in every era. They're the best Curry. They're the best players. So if you're not quite at their level... It's hard to win a championship unless your team is significantly better. If your supporting casts aren't that different, a lot of times these series come down to who's the best player in the series. And I don't know if Jimmy Butler will ever out like be the best player in a final series. Like I love Jimmy Butler, y'all know that, but I just don't know. So I'm not saying Bradley Beal is better than Jimmy Butler, but at least it gives gives them such a great big three. No one's really stepping on each other's toes. Solid supporting cast, solid coach. That could work for a championship, like a 1A, 1B situation. We've seen guys win, teams win championship with a little 1A, 1B, but they have a very solid supporting cast and all that. I think the Miami Heat could do that. That would get them closer, not to say that would guarantee them a ring, but I wanted Beal to Miami. Phoenix? I thought they would at least maybe try to get Tyler Hero or something. They gave him a, not even a first-round pick for Chris Paul. And Shamit, two former Clippers and second rounders. I was like, what the fuck is this? Because Chris Paul ain't going to play. But now they've turned that into Jordan Poole. So again, sometimes these front offices, oftentimes they're thinking one step ahead of us fans who are reactionary. We don't know what's going on. The big picture plan. And they turn that into Jordan Poole. But as for the original trade, I'm just going to end this with this on Phoenix. We'll have months to pr- talk about predictions for the season but it's very redundant to me i understand that this is positionless basketball and 10 years ago you would have never put two true shooting guards together like beal and booker but now you're just going to downsize play booker at the three beal at the two 
vice versa. It doesn't really matter. Wing, guard, big. They fall under the wing category, even though they're shooting guards. And then Kevin Durant will play the four like we saw him play this season. I think they have, I mean, it's definitely an upgrade over Chris Paul, but to me, they're no better than a conference finals team. I have, they're just, it's just weird. And I don't think that he's going to make their defense any better. And my thing is this, it's not that easy to go from being a first option for five years to being a third option. Second option is one thing, but a third option, does that mean Beal's getting 13 shots a game? KD is very okay with deferring, but I don't like it when KD defers too much. That's one of my issues with him. So in terms of, it's not about that they're going to be selfish and step on each other's toes. To me, it's none of, they may not be able to be the best versions of themselves because it's not a seamless fit. It's three guys that are jump shot heavy scorers. They don't get to the rim like that anymore. They're all very decent off-ball players, very solid off-ball players, in fact. And I love how great they are in the mid-range. I like their one-on-one -on -one bags individually. I like that they don't need too many dribbles to get into their shot. But I just think the fit itself is a little bit weird. So... Yeah, none of them can get to the rim like that. They're all solid finishers when they get to the rim, but none of them are really putting that much rim pressure to me uh, consistently. Chris Paul was definitely not helping in that category. But yeah, I mean, I listen, I saw Bradley Beal play very closely in Washington a couple of years ago. He was the number one scorer then with Russell Westbrook. So this is a different role for him. But his points, it was like, God, I don't mean to hate, but I've said it before. And you can go back to my actual recaps of those episodes. But it was like the most non-impactful 30 average I've ever seen in my life. But that being said, it's it's very hard to average 30 points in the NBA. People were discrediting Beal and acting like the Suns got a no. <coughs> Sorry. Like the Suns got a nobody. Bradley Beal still nice. Bradley Beal still going to help that team. Am I scared of the Suns? Not really. Should they be? Should I be scared that the Suns are going to beat the Denver Nuggets? No. That's all I got on that. Let's go to the Brogdon thing, right? So I was over the moon. Obviously sad to lose coffee. Happy to see Senior go. Even though, you know, Marcus Morris, he is a guy that's given the Clippers some really solid years. As for the Celtics, they ended up getting Porzingis um, regardless. And I think that was a really solid move. Now, if you go back to my recaps in the 2021 playoffs, I'm not the highest on Porzingis because I think he's another one of those big guys that just shoots a lot of jumpers, bails the defense out, doesn't have good enough post game, and he actually has turnarounds, though, in the mid post, but he doesn't go to it enough. However, this season, I think it was actually one of his better seasons with Washington. He was more aggressive, shot a lot more. And I think with Boston, it's actually the perfect role for him because he's not going to have that much pressure on him to score and create. He just can kind of be like their third option, take advantage of some mismatches, hit the shots on the pick and pop, and being able to space the floor with the way Al Horford shot in these playoffs very inconsistently, I think that's going to really help Boston. And then you get a secondary guy that can block shots, agile for his size, averaged a block and a half this year. I think this is a great spot for Porzingis. And the best part about it, it's only one year. He's gonna his contract expires after that. Yeah, you're paying him 36 million this year. But honestly, if you're Boston, that's a solid move. Now, the the whole tricky part with this was the trade started falling apart late last night. And by the way, I, I see this comment from Phoenix Gen Z who always has some decent pushback. Um, I'm not saying Beal cannot get to the rim, but I don't think he can get to the rim the same way he once did. And even in his prime. I think he's declining a little bit, but even though he's only, what, 29? But even in his prime, 
he wasn't a guy that got to the rim at will or was had a crazy first step or anything like that. So I think he's more of a jump shooter, you know, at his heart. He's only, what, 6'4", 6'5", anyway? He's a jump shooter to me, primarily. You need to find out how much of his shots were at the rim, more so than what his percentage is at the rim. I'm not saying he's not a good finisher. He is a good finisher. But anyway, let's get back into this. Forget about the Suns for a bit. Let's get into the trade cancellation. So as Clipper fans, we're not foreign to this. We're remembering Chris Paul with the trade got vetoed, but we were, the, we were the beneficiaries of that. Now, at first, it didn't feel like we were the beneficiaries of this because we didn't get Malcolm Brogdon, and I was pretty excited about it. But my first thought when we got Brogdon was, what does that mean for Westbrook? Because we already have Bones Highland and already exercised his option to come back next season, which I am in full support of and want. But, whew, it got canceled last minute because apparently the Clippers pulled out and were didn't, you know, they wanted the physical done after the draft. They weren't moving fast enough for Boston who wanted to get the deal done by midnight. And we were wary of Malcolm Brogdon, who apparently needs an elbow surgery. However, Adam Himmelsback, I think that's his name, a Boston beat writer or a Boston reporter, whatever, said that he will, it is likely that he will be back in the start of the season or he should be, something along those lines. And I, he said firm belief. It's like, I mean, I'm not taking that to the bank. If he's coming off a surgery, you can see why the Clippers moved off or moved off of this trade last minute. Now, the question Celtics fans might be asking, um, the question Celtics fans must be asking is, now the Clippers want to talk about injury concerns when your two best players that you're paying nearly $100 million to are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And you know what? That's a fair counterpoint to a degree. But at the end of the day, they're clearly saying we just don't want any more injury-prone players. Now, I said this yesterday, but it obviously doesn't matter now. But I said if that's the case, you better not go for Chris Paul. If you really want to prioritize health outside of the 2-1-3 duo, then Chris Paul should not be on the cards. And lo and behold, he will not be in the cards. But... I was like, I, I really like the idea of Brogdon. He only missed 15 games last year. If he indeed does come back by opening night, then fuck, maybe we missed out on something. But you know what? If he's really coming off a of surgery and he's not the same anymore, which I doubt, and I honestly hope not because I like Malcolm Brogdon, then that would be tough. But at the same time, if we get Russ back, which I'm honestly getting a feeling that we may, that's the best case scenario because there's if there's one thing about Russ, knock on wood, that you really can't question, it's his availability and his durability. And so I hope we get Russ back more than anything. Phoenix plays he says about 30% of Beal's shots came at the rim last year. Well, that's actually pretty good. That's kind of higher than I expected. Um, but still, like it, he only scored 22 points a game. They didn't win many games, so clearly, like it wasn't unstoppable. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't some unstoppable mm -hmm. scorer. But anyway. That's more than I expected, though. Um, is he better than, at getting to the rim than Booker? Because Booker was actually getting to the rim at a decent rate in the playoffs, to be honest. He's not a relentless rim pressure, two feet in the paint all the time guy, but Booker's a bucket. I think it's an upgrade for Phoenix, but I don't think they're going to be Denver with it. Because now they're, they're so booked salary-wise, who else are they going to fucking get? They got no money. But anyway, so the Malcolm Brogdon trade, it is what it is. Now, the trade that actually went through was Marcus Smart going to Memphis, Tyus Jones. Let me read the full terms of it, honestly. I marked it down. Oh, man, they took me out of Woj. 
I'd already signed into Woj's tweets, had them ready on standby for you guys, but I guess I have to scroll down again. All right, here we are. But anyway, see, here's the big trade. So Tyus Jones, he first released that is going to Washington. Great get for Washington. Do they want to play him next season? I honestly would. He's going to be a starting point guard in this league sooner or later. And he's about to be in his prime. I would want him if I was Washington, honestly. And then you saw that Porzingis was going to Boston. So again, I already talked about that. Good move for Boston. But what I was wondering was if Memphis is involved, who's going to Memphis and who's leaving the Celtics and then the bombshell. The, the woe is bomb, I should say. The Celtics are trading Marcus Smart to the Grizzlies. Wow. <sighs> Celtics fans, I know this one hurts. I lived in Massachusetts, obviously, for three years. Three years that Marcus Smart was on the team. And I know how much they love Marcus Smart. He was the true embodiment of a Celtic. He played hard. Rep the jersey and the colors really proud. Was a good spokesperson for the team. A little bit dirty. He when I when I was at games, I could tell why they like him so much as well because he really was good at interacting with the crowd. Um, always motioned to them, and just doing things that you know the crowd would get excited for. Dive on the floor for a loose ball. Get a you know draw a charge at a crucial moment. Remember the ball was stuck one time in the stanchion or the back of the basket, and he got the little sweat wiper, whatever they call it, and knock the ball off. Just like little things like that. And he was also the longest tenured Celtic. I remember one of my good friends, shout out to my friend Jack Moran. He was saying that he thought he was going to get his number retired one time. We were talking in my room when I was a senior in college. And I was like, dude, I know y'all retire numbers pretty easily, but unless he wins a chip, maybe multiple, the Celtics are not about to retire Marcus Smart's number. And he was like, dude, we love him here, man. If he spends his whole career, we get at least one chip. I think he will. I said, well, the tough part's going to be the chip and staying somewhere their whole career in today's day and age. And sadly, Marcus Smart's Celtic tenure comes to an end after nine years. He made the playoffs every single year as a Celtic, was a valuable part of several iterations of their team. Um, I, you know, the, the thing is the Celtics have such a great history that I wouldn't even consider him one of the best Celtic role players of all time. But he was the best role player for them of this generation i'd say i don't know boston fans are going to miss him a lot and i'm going to give him a huge ovation when he returns to td garden but the thing about losing smart is that they lost their vocal and emotional leader and jason tatum and jalen brown they they seem like lead by example guys similar to paul george and Kawhi, but i don't know how vocal they are now i'm not saying i know i'm not saying they are they are or aren't i don't know but Marcus Smart, it's clear as day. He's the captain, the emotional leader of this Celtic team. He's the hustle guy. He's the one that makes things happen when they got there's games that they don't seem like they care. He's he's kind of an enforcer kind of player. And I wonder how big of an effect that's going to have on the team next season. We'll just have to find out. Especially because I don't think they get the same kind of toughness from their coach that they did with Ime Udoka. But anyway, so that's what I got on that trade. Memphis getting Marcus Smart, though, wow. What an what a huge upgrade that's going to be over Dylan Brooks. Now, what are they going to do about the backup point guard position? That's kind of what I'm curious about for Memphis. But Marcus Smart and John Morant, 
when Ja comes back. And Marcus can obviously take over those point guard duties. Luke Kennard probably insert into the starting lineup. So you got Smart, Kennard, Bain, Jaron, Jackson, and Steven Adams. Which honestly is not terrible. I think that could be able to be a 500 team, maybe a little under 500. But with John and Marcus Smart, that's going to be really exciting for, for Memphis. Even though Marcus Smart... The thing about the Celtics losing him, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't know if they've gotten better or worse. I think they've gotten a little better, but we'll have to see. Because Derek White showed so much this season, honestly. I think they can start with White, the two Js, and then Porzingis and the Time Lord. And then Peyton Pritchard, maybe he doesn't have to leave after all. And worst case, if Brogdon's injury really isn't that bad, then... Uh, he can stay and still be a fantastic player for them off the bench. So I think Boston's fine. I think Memphis, though, and plus I was going to say Marcus Smart made some bonehead errors sometimes throughout the years as well. It's not like he was perfect or had a flawless basketball IQ. I suggested trading Smart last year before they went on their big run. You know, he proved me wrong, ended up winning Defensive Player of the Year. But we'll see how he does in Memphis. Even though Memphis is a very low IQ team, I think he will absolutely help their basketball IQ replacing him with replacing Dylan Brooks with him. But anyway, so that's what I think about the trade that actually happened. Now, one that absolutely shocked me. CP3 traded to the Golden State Warriors. I I was at, by the way, the Wizards are getting Gallo and Mike Muscala and the Celtics sent the 35th pick in today's draft to Washington. Um, the Grizzlies got the Grizzlies are sending two first rounders to the Celtics. Twenty twenty three, it was today's, um, and twenty twenty four. The number it was the number twenty five pick the Celtics had, and then they traded that to the Pistons tonight. Um, the Celtics took a center from Nigeria, but let's go to the Chris Paul move that was absolutely shocking today. CP three to the Golden State Warriors for Jordan Poole. A 2030 protected first rounder and a 2027 second rounder. Absolutely unbelievable. And by the way, the final details of the Washington trade with Phoenix, the Suns are, let's see, the Wizards got six second rounders and four first round pick swaps. The Suns are sending the seconds in 2024, 2025, 2026, 27, and 28, and 2030. And then pick swaps in next year's draft. So likely they won't take that pick swap because the Suns will be better than the Wizards. 2026, who knows by then. And they also have 2028 and 2030. So the Wizards made out not terribly actually in the end. Um, But the pick swaps... We'll see how long it takes them to get good. Who knows? The Suns could crash and burn in a couple of years. But anyway, so the Suns, is there any finalization on the Suns trade? Let's see if he t- tweeted recently. I think he did. Patrick Paul, they just announced that Patrick Baldwin Jr. got traded as well for CP3. But I guess let's get into the Warriors side of it first. Chris Paul, that shocks me. That shocks me. CP3 is the most non-Warriors player I can think of. So ball dominant, loves high pick and roll. They're all about motion, off-ball movement, screens. He, I, I can't remember the last time I saw CP3 cut to the basket. This is a, a crazy move. Crazy. 
CP3 to be Steph Curry's backup. First of all, he had to have agreed. And I'll tell you this. I said Chris Paul wouldn't be Russ's backup, and I still stand by that. But if there's one player's backup that he might agree to be, it's Steph Curry's backup because he has that respect for him. And it's so funny because I know so many Warriors fans on Twitter that despise Chris Paul, despise him. And I thought it was so funny that they got him. I'm like, oh my god! There's so many of them. Are, so many of them are like, I refuse to like him. Like, it's gonna be funny. But I will say this: I do think in the playoffs, he will be an upgrade running that second unit over Pool, because Pool clearly with the Draymond punch that ruined everything. There's no way you pay a guy that much after winning a ring, and then after one season, you trade him. It got so bad. They chose Draymond over Poole. And I'm not going to lie. This is the second teammate that Draymond Green has basically had a situation like that where it's either him or that guy. And Jordan Poole, obviously, they chose to keep Draymond intact with Clay and Steph. And look, his mental just wasn't right this season. He had an ever-changing role, but he did do well when he started, and he did help in the regular season and didn't miss a game. So in the regular season, I actually don't know, especially considering Clay, Steph, Draymond will all have their load management moments and maybe some little injuries here and there, hopefully no major injuries. And I think CP3 could step in, but will he fit as well as a Jordan Poole in that offense? I don't know. I'm curious to see how they're going to incorporate him and how he's if he's going to buy into that system, if he can keep up with it. The last time, like when was the last time CP3 really played in a, played in a real fast-paced offense? Like for me it was, and I don't base that just off pace numbers because the pace numbers can be kind of misleading even i know that sounds weird but they can just like the lakers were last year where they just shot quick shots early in the shot clock and, and they would go down as they had such a high pace and all that you no know, you have to get stops to get out in transition part partially and cp3 i think the only time like the last time he was really playing in a fast-paced offense was with us with lob city and even then as the lob city tenure went on it became more half court CP3 in a fast pace, constantly moving offense. It's going to be so interesting to see that. But I do think they will do more high pick and roll with him off the bench. Now, one thing Warriors fans were talking about, and it's completely valid, is they don't really have many rim rolling bigs that are great. Looney is not some great roller. He's not a great finisher around the rim. He's not a vertical threat at all. And Draymond Green, he's good in the short roll, but that's not somebody you think of with CP. CP will have some nice passes to Draymond in the short roll, but you want CP to have a big you know, a lob threat or just a big that you can dump it down to and finish. It doesn't really have that. Now, a lot of Warriors fans are talking about Jonathan Kaminga in the pick and roll with Chris Paul. And that sounds fantastic. But my thing is with this, with Kaminga is, if I'm the other team, I switch that action and force Kaminga to prove to me that he can post up and take advantage of the mismatch. And we'll see how that goes. Overall, I don't think it's a needle mover at all for the Warriors. It may have got them marginally better. It may get them marginally worse, but it's not a needle mover at all, and I'm so curious to see how it works. I mean, look, if CP3 can't win with the Warriors, I mean, the thing about Chris is this. This is what, his sixth team? My goodness. He's getting to journeyman status for one of the all-time greats. and But he always helps whatever team he goes to in the beginning. Eventually, it sours, but... He does help in the beginning. And I'm just curious to see how he's going to fit with those personalities. A team that's given him the whooping and <laughs> prevented him from winning rings. By the way, 
That's a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier with Jimmy Butler. A player like Chris Paul, if he gets to that highest, highest stage, that's part of the reason why I don't think Lob City was ever going to win a chip. We had a good enough supporting cast if you want to put a supporting cast around CP3 as the number one. Fact of the matter is, he's not a number one because he's always going to be going up against a LeBron or a Curry or someone like that that's better than him. And so, Steph Curry is one of those people. So, we'll see. For the... Wizards, I think it's awesome. You just got Jordan Poole and Patrick Baldwin. Jordan Poole is about to go off next season. His efficiency might not be great, and the Wizards may not win a lot of games, but it's going to be fun. Him, Kispert, Johnny Davis, they have Gafford. I mean, what's like? who did they pick today? Koulibaly. It's going to be fun. Jordan Poole, he's going to get off. I think he's going to average 25 points a game. This is great for him, though. He already got a ring. He was already... So that'll always be stamped that he was a, such a big contributor to a championship ring, top four scorer. And now he gets the ball out and prove himself and show everybody that last season was more of a mental thing and not a he got worse thing. So I'm really happy for Jordan Poole. And Patrick Baldwin will be interesting to see that. Let's get to the draft. So listen, guys. I'm one of those people, as you all know, that doesn't like what everybody seems to dick ride. I'm a big not dick ride guy, hence the reason why I'm a Clipper fan. But I really like Victor Wembanyama. I don't know if it's because he's a foreigner, and I tend to like foreigners because my parents are immigrants, but he just seems very humble. And I just think that he's going about everything the right way. And the Spurs, the story, he wanted to be in San Antonio, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, now him. I'm, I'm really rooting for him. The thing is, he has so much pressure on him. And here's my thing. I think he'll be amazing defensively. I think he's going to be great right away. I think he's going to have the, the ability to blow up pick and rolls. I think he's going to be laterally quick enough to switch on to just about anybody. I think that he's just going to be amazing the way he makes up ground and just covers ground in general. I think he's going to be amazing in the pick and roll as a lob threat, as a pick and pop threat. My thing with Wembanyama is when he sees bigger forwards and wings switched onto him and you don't get to face up against those guys, can he punish them with his size? He can still get a shot off, but that's my big thing with all these fancy-ass seven-footers that all they want to do is face up and play like guards. At the end of the day, you need to be a... When it's time to play like a big, you need to play like a big. And that's why Jokic won the championship because when push came to shove, he's, doesn't, he's not one of those dancing bigs. He's not. He has that behind-the-back... That's his one move when he's going downhill that's like fancy to me when he's facing up with the ball on the bounce. But overall, when it's time to score, Jokic just goes back to basket, boom, boom, you know, push shot, floater, jump hook. E easy. A couple pump fakes if he needs to. Wembanyama, he seems more like a Kevin Durant kind of uh, prototype, like a Kevin Durant disciple. And I think he's going to be exciting, but that's my thing for him deep down the road, though. We're talking like best part of championship team status here. As far as making an impact next year, I think he's going to make a big impact. He's going to get them to at least 30 wins. Um, I'm so excited to watch him play. As far as the Charlotte Hornets, that was shocking. The, the NBA media always picks two players that they designate for months in most drafts to go one and two. And they almost go one and two no matter what the hell they do in the tournament and whatnot. And this year, it seemed like it was no different with Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson. But the Charlotte Hornets went with an old-fashioned kind of line of thinking and went with fit over best overall player. Now, maybe they think Brandon Miller is the best overall player. But... 
I don't know, Scoot Henderson athleticism and the way everybody talked about him all season with the G League Ignite. I thought he was going to be the second pick. The thing is, they already have LaMelo. Although, look, you might think, like, oh, Sacramento did it with Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. But look, they got Sabonis out of it. So, like, worst case, if it doesn't work out, like, for example, Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka, although I don't think that trade ended up being anything. They traded for DeAndre Jordan. Reggie Bullock, actually, right? I think they traded for Reggie Bullock. I could be wrong on that. But, yeah, Miller... We'll see how it pays off. I mean, I think it's going to be a good fit, LaMelo Ball and Miller. I've never seen Miller play, by the way. I've never seen most of these guys play in full games. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't lie about the stuff that I watch or don't watch. But it'll be interesting to see if they pay for that. So Portland now has Scoot Henderson. And it's just like Dame apparently keeps saying that he's not about the young players, the youth movement. So are they going to trade that pick? And listen. Man, if I'm the Clippers, man, I'm getting on that phone. Paul George, are you willing to part ways? Bring Scoot this way. Now I have no problem selling tickets and that into a dome. I can promise you that. That'll be taken care of. I don't know, man. I'd be down. But Scoot Henderson to Portland. Now they have three guards that are like elite. Dame, Simons, and him. I wonder what's going to happen. Something to keep an eye on for sure. The other picks, I don't have any idea how they play, so I have nothing to say to th about them. But I do have something to say about Brandon Pajimski from Golden that got with a Golden State drafted. I watched this guy play live at Pepperdine this year against uh, yeah against Pepperdine for Santa Clara. Dude, when I went into the gym, he was projected to be maybe a second rounder. He transferred from he transferred from Illinois. And Max Lewis, who was at the time projected to go lottery. He went 40 tonight. I'm going to talk about him in a sec. But he was projected to go lottery. They're playing against each other. And there was no doubt in everyone in the like everyone that watched the game, if you didn't if you knew nothing about these people and the draft uh, projections and all that, Brandon was the best player on the court by a significant distance. This guy is elite. Will he be able to help the Warriors this season? I actually think yes in the regular season. In the playoffs, maybe not. Because he has to prove that he can guard at the NBA level. If he can, because he's six foot five, he has pretty decent size. He's not a small guard by any means. If he can guard well enough, then maybe he'll get playoff minutes. But offensively, he's going to be great in the NBA. And he's perfect for Steve Kerr's system. He's a great shooter with the ability to hit off the catch and off the bounce. There were some shots he was making Great defense by the Pepperdine players, hand in the face, off the dribble. You know what I'm saying? Fadeaways, like pull-ups. It was nuts. And the best part about him that I think is his most translatable skill to the NBA, or maybe the most valuable one, is how great he was in the pick and roll. And nowadays, the NBA is all pick and roll. And he, was make, he makes the right read all the time. And there was, again, there was one pass he made that I always say the best passes are the ones that even the people that are watching on TV or from a wide view can't see. He threw a pass. I didn't even see the, the guy that he was passing to. It was insane. Crossed the court, behind, like through shoulders, you know, behind, right next to a guy's head. Like, man, the guy was, he put on a show. It was one of the best performances I've ever seen from a college player live. Um, and that's when I knew he was really, really good. So Golden State got a good player. Really good player. I hope he gets a chance. Um, but it's super high IQ too. But then, so who the Lakers, by the way, his, the first pick the Lakers got, I know nothing about him. I'm sorry. I know nothing about him. 
So for the Clippers, I wanted us to get uh, what the guy, another guy from the G League Ignite. Ignite. I forgot his name. It was um, he ended up going to the Spurs and then traded to Minnesota. Somebody give me his name in the comments. But I wanted them to take him. They ended up taking Kobe Brown from Missouri. I got a lot of context on him. So apparently he's a bigger forward, 6'7 and a half. Leonard Miller. Thank you, Phoenix Gen Z. Leonard Miller. That's what I wanted the Clippers to take. But we didn't get him. We took Kobe Brown, 6'7 and a half, like 240. And looks like he's got a grown man body. Now, his shooting, his three-point shooting wasn't great till his last year of college, it seems. I think they got a new coach. So, but he was left open a lot. So teams are going to dare him to shoot at the NBA level. Will he make him an immediate impact on the Clippers? Will he actually get into the rotation? My gut is telling me no. Obviously, we have to wait and see if the Clippers make any more additions at that kind of spot or subtractions because we still technically have Marcus Morris on the roster, which was the worst part about that trade getting nixed. But... Yeah, I don't think he'll probably play this season, but if he does, I can see why the Clippers picked him because six, seven and a half, it sounds like they want him to try to be a stretch four because he's big enough, technically weight-wise, and he shot better this year, so if he can just knock down shots, I've seen that he has that bully ball game, and a good friend of mine that's very knowledgeable about college says that he was actually a very good passer, and that's one of his better skills, so if he can pass the ball, that's never, that's never a bad thing. And he played, spent four years in college. He's 23 years old. So he's definitely a little bit more seasoned. And he's a beast strength-wise. So hopefully we'll see. I mean, I don't know much about him. So I'm, I'm not going to like just rant and rave about him like I know who he is and how he plays. I have to watch. But he was in the tournament, so he got high-pressure experience there. So you like to see that. And then I don't know anything about the guy from Miami at all. But let's talk about... Max, before we talk about some Clipper rumors to end it. So, Max Lewis. Hold on one second. All right, Laker fans. So, here's the deal. I want to preface this by saying that anytime my mom went to Pepperdine and I worked for them as the backup PA announcer a little bit this year, I wasn't the... I didn't do any basketball games, sadly, but I was at almost every single conference home game, and I also went to one or two non-conference home games. So I watched them play a lot this season live, a lot. My mom went there, so I'm a big fan. Um, all season long, there was this hype about Max that he was projected to go in the lottery, and like when you look at him, you can immediately see why. Six seven, long arms, super athletic, can shoot the ball, and when he does score, the highlights look really nice. And in the beginning of the season, in non-conference play, like he was doing really decent. Pepperdine started seven and seven. And last year, they were the worst team in the WCC. They actually, I'm pretty sure by record, ended as the worst team in the WCC again. But they were even worse in 2021-22. And Max hurt him. He was injured that year for a lot of it. So this season, in non-conference, and overall in the season, he averaged 17 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists on 47% shooting and 35 from 3. But in conference, his stats were a lot worse. So that tells me that I don't have his stats just for non-conference, but they were definitely pretty decent. I'm pretty sure he probably like 19 or 20 points. But the thing is, the reason why his stock dropped so much, and I didn't really seem to happen till late, but he was just projected to go too high. 
it's all upside to me with Max. Um, I really like the. I really. I mean, obviously, I'm gonna root for him, but I'm just gonna be honest here. Um, if you didn't know about the projections, you would never think that he was going to the NBA. Like watching him on the Pepperdine court, you can see why scouts would like someone like that because. Nowadays in the NBA, they really draft on athleticism and potential and hope that they can mold that player. Like Jalen Brown, for example, did not have this offensive game or anything close to it, but he ended up developing into a really great offensive player. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Max, but he was... In when, when The reason why he slipped so much is because straight up, he just didn't play very well in conference play. And for a guy that was projected to go in the lottery and he's playing against teams that have no NBA players in their lineups... He was never, and I, I kid you not, never, except for maybe one game, the best player on the court. There was always somebody that was outplaying him. That was either a more experienced player or just ma making more shots. Uh, as far as Max, though, the college game is very different than the NBA game. I don't think that his role is a guy that's going to ever be like a number one scorer creator guy. I think Max is a really good shooter, and he's freakishly athletic. But the reason why the, the Pepperdine why we weren't good as the season went on. And mind you, we were in so many close games, so many close games, but they didn't win these close games because they were playing more experienced teams. But the thing about Pepperdine is I just legitimately didn't think Max was that much better offensively than some of their other players. Like I just didn't see the hype in terms of what he was right now as a skilled player. He doesn't really have that big of a bag. You can see the highlights all you want, but he's handle is not that fast it's very predictable a lot of times he'll just jab and jab and jab and either just settle for a three he'll he has one one or two moves when he goes left he can't he doesn't drip pound the ball that hard going left like for that many dribbles he always goes to the step back almost every time or a spin the step back is actually pretty nice but he only does it going left and he has a nice spin especially going over his right shoulder but the thing is, he doesn't consistently beat his defender because his handle is not all that. And his bag is not that crazy at all. He, he wasn't even creating sh a bunch of good shots at the WCC level. So at the NBA level, I don't see him as that kind of player. I think Max's ceiling, if he really puts in work, is to be a good 3 and D guy and a slasher. Somebody that can hit the open shot, guard really solid players, and be an athlete in transition. And also, he can attack closeouts and pull up. Like, he has a decent pull up as well. And he's really good finishing in transition because he has crazy bounce. But he's one of those players that if you look at the highlights, you're going to think he's a lot better than he is. And I think the reason why his stock dropped is because people just started watching him more. And it, let me just read you the stats because if you think I'm tripping. Um, in conference play, he only averaged 15 points on 41% shooting and 25% from three. And little known fact, Pepperdine had a 10-game losing streak, and in that 10-game losing streak, he was in a huge slump. He lost all his confidence. He was even passing up shots. He just didn't look like he had that same swagger anymore. And quite frankly, I thought at times this season, and I'm very excited for Pepperdine this upcoming season, not because I have anything against Max, but I think that, although it's not the same anymore, but I, I thought that they played better when they didn't run the offense so much through Max, because even in the games that he went off, most of the time, if he's not hitting like the open three, he's scoring because he's taking advantage of a mismatch on guys that are just way less athletic and strong or as tall as him. And that's not going to be the case against NBA players. It's just literally overpowering and over, you know, out, out athletic. Is that even a word? Out, you know, showing he's a superior athlete. Let's put it that way. 
And I don't even mean to sound like a hater, but because but here's the thing about Max, he's all potential. He's still very raw, and he hasn't been playing basketball for that long compared to some of these guys. He didn't play that much AAU, so he's he's a real work in progress. And I think the Lakers to take him at forty is actually really good value. Like I think that's a great spot for him. I think they got someone that's going to spend some time in the G this year, maybe on a two way contract. I don't think he's better than Max Christie. Like no way he's better than Max Christie right now. Um, I think he can become a better player than Troy Brown. I don't. Troy Brown's not even on contract next season, but I don't expect Max to make an impact on the Lakers next year. Maybe he'll get some spot minutes here and there if guys are out, which guys will be out. But don't expect him to make an impact in the rotation just because of a cup because he used to be a 15th or 16th pick. And don't expect him to be a creator. Now I will say this: he's actually a decent passer, but it mostly comes off of an advantage has already been created, making the open read. Nothing too crazy. But again. Will those come at the NBA level? If he's a fourth or fifth guy, which he will, I think this is a ceiling, a good role player that can attack closeouts, make the connective pass, the extra pass, that I can see him doing all day long. As far as his defense, he was a better defender than most players on Pepperdine because of his size and athleticism just outright. He's he's an NBA body. like That's just NBA athlete, no doubt about it. So it's going to be a presence at the college level. But he still wasn't some lockdown defender. A lot of times he would fall asleep, have a lot of mental lapses. And the thing about Max is he got into his head a lot. He would at times take himself out of the game mentally on both ends of the floor. And there were times where he'd be in foul trouble and he acted like he wasn't in foul trouble. He would still play as aggressive without really thinking. And um, that was that hurt at times for Pepperdine. But the funny part is they were on a 10-game losing streak and then they won against Portland in a game where... Houston Millette was the highest scorer. And then the next game, when they beat BYU, they were the bet. They played better. I'm not saying they were better, but they played better in this game with Max on the bench because he was in foul trouble, only played 22 minutes, and they played through Malik uh, Moore, Houston Millette, Mike Mitchell, Javon Porter, MPJ's brother, and I forget who else was playing. And they played, everybody was moving the ball. They weren't looking at one player to try to go and create shots. And again, as I said, my biggest thing with Pepperdine, that part of why they, I didn't think they were as good as they should have been, was I don't think Max was that much better offensively than Mike Mitchell Jr. and Houston Millette. I think those two are underrated. I don't know if they'll be NBA players, but I hope they can get a shot. Um, Houston especially as an off-ball player um, because he plays with heart and he's a really good shooter. Um, but I just thought that they had more creation chops, especially Mike, who's a great passer. Sadly, he's going to Minnesota next year, and they have Ethan Anderson now. But I, and Javon Porter, I think he's gonna have a great season for the Waves next year. Like, don't be they're gonna win more games. They're gonna be more experienced, even though they lost Max. They're gonna win more. But here's the thing, Pepperdine. All I'm, all this shit I'm saying about Pepperdine and how they did and their wins and losses. Um. That doesn't really matter in the long run for Max because the college game is different than the NBA game, and Max is all about his potential. He's all about his potential. He has a great potential to be to me to be a three and D guy in the NBA. He's got the body for it. He's got the size, and he really does have the. He's really does have a good three point shot. It's all about just keep on working. His work ethic will tell the tale because he's got the physical tools. If he wants to be a great player in the NBA, I think he can be a great player in the NBA, but. I don't think he'll be like a star or like a crazy creator in the league. That's just my prediction. But anyway, so that's all I got to say on Max. I hope you – I really – and again, I want to repeat this because that sounded really harsh. But listen, that's not harsh. I'm just telling you why he fell so much. Because at 40, he is good value. I think that's actually what he should be, like around that range. But he has the potential to make teams look foolish. I do think so. 
six seven with that athleticism. Um, we'll see in the summer league. I'm gonna be very intent on watching, and I'm hoping I'm rooting for Max. Every time he's the most hyped up prospect in the program's history. I watched a lot of uh, I saw a lot of scouts in that gym this year. But anyway, to end the show, uh, PG, his name has been floated around in trade talks recently. And honestly, I'm not mad at it because it's showing that maybe the Clippers front office isn't just saying we're going to have to run it back because this shit is doomed, man. I'm not trying to fucking be doom and gloom. I'm going to root for them regardless. But this Kawhi Paul George thing, I don't trust their health at all. So if we trade him and get the right something solid, because I still think PG has great value, then I'm down. But... They were talking about the Knicks today. I don't want R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin for Paul. Like, unless you're giving us some solid first-rounders, but the Knicks should be good for a bit. And if they get Paul George to pair up with Randall and Brunson, they're going to be really solid. So I don't like that trade. R.J. Barrett, I'm not a huge fan of his. I want a guy that could be... I'd rather have Anthony Simons. I want the Blazers package if we trade Paul. But I don't think we're going to trade Paul. I think we're content on running it back. So that's something I wouldn't really even think about. Is going to happen, but you just never know. I'm happy that we're, the rumors are out there because it shows that there may be some validity to them, and I don't want us to just be content. But this shit is ass. As far as Russell Westbrook, uh, Westbrook, I'm getting more and more confident that he either may take a pay cut or we may make the move necessary to clear enough salary to pay him a, something something decent, and he'll come back. Because if we're really trying to prioritize durability and health, I'm really hoping... We can get Westbrook back. Really hoping. Because I loved Westbrook. And I hope that we only don't get to see his tenure as a Clipper that short-lived. Um, so keep an eye on that. I think we'll get Russ. And then my last thing before I go to the live subscribers that have been waiting really patiently in the comments is Lou Williams. He recently announced his retirement. And Lou Williams, he his dime dropper time wasn't very good. Because uh, obviously I started this, this podcast before the bubble. So... He, that was Lemon Pepper Lou, and then the next season I was mad about him and thought he should be – I was begging for him to get traded. I thought he was cooked, and he was just being too selfish with the ball. And he did, but, man, he was such a great clipper. Three and a half years, the best part of the Chris Paul trade, even more than Pat Bev for me, the best player on one of our playoff teams. I mean, the, I fell in love with Lou Will as a clipper when he – scored 50 at Golden State against the KD Warriors. And then when Chris Paul came back, he played fantastic in that return game that I was at, by the way, when I was here for winter break, um, my sophomore year of college. And then it, nothing is more Lou Will to me than the 2019. Nothing encapsulates his tenure as a Clipper more than that 2019 season. One of the best, most fun seasons to me as a Clipper fan. And, I mean, he was great even before the Tobias trade. But when Tobias got traded, I thought we were doomed. And I was like, because I, I knew that they were trying to make cap space for a big free agent like Kawhi in the summer. But I'm like, I'm a Clipper fan. Like, we're not going to get fucking Kawhi. A big free agent is going to just choose to come to the Clippers? Don't know about all that, even with Bomber. So I was like, we're really trading Tobias Harris. But Lou just went to another level. And I think to this day, my 18 years as a Clipper fan, Lou Williams is the best closer that we've had in my time. I mean, I was never more confident with Chris Paul. Blake, Kawhi, or Paul George than Lou Williams in the fourth. He would just take over fourth quarters. And in that season, it was multiple times. There was that one quarter at Detroit where he had like 20 points in the fourth. I mean, game winner against Brooklyn. That, that shot going to his left was just so automatic. 
And he played in the peak foul baiting era. So, like, he was such a master with getting fouls, a master foul baiter, as we like to call him. Almost as good as Norman Powell, maybe even better. But when he felt that contact, that hand check, he would throw it up and score every time. He would never pull up going to his right unless he came to a full stop, unlike going to his left. But he was good at creating contact with his shoulder and leaning in, going to his right. Uh, what a great shot maker and finisher. And as much as I love Jamal Crawford, I like Jamal Crawford more than Lou. Lou was the better clipper. Even though Jamal spent six years with us, no, five years with us, and Lou three and a half, Lou was the best player on a playoff team. And that 31-point comeback against the Warriors capped off by a great moment known as What a moment. That comeback was led by Lou Williams, the largest comeback in playoff history. And just when you thought that the series was over when we were down 3-1, mind you, this is against the most talented team maybe in the history of the game. We still got a win in game five at Oracle because Lou Williams just went ape shit. I, we're going to miss Lou Williams. He had some really iconic, I mean, three times six man of the year, two times with my Clippers in back-to-back years in 2018 and 19. Also won it in 2014 with the Toronto Raptors. Booming us. Oh, man. Six men like I'm Lou Will. Two girls and they get along like I'm, like I'm Lou Will. That's classic. Oh, man. Two-girl Lou, lemon pepper Lou, six-man. It was a pleasure. And I don't know if he's number retirement status. I mean, the Clippers don't have a very high standard, and we don't have any numbers retired. I don't think he is, but, man, 23 for the Clippers will always be iconic to me for Lou Williams. And I hope to see him down the line at the Into a Dome. A very solid career. One of the best six men of all time. He truly embraced that role when he was better than so many starters. But that's it for me tonight. Let me know what you guys thought of the episode and hit me up in the comments about all this crazy news around the NBA. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Peace. Also, last thing, I thought the Houston Rockets actually made out pretty well in the draft as well. I haven't seen the Thompson Twins play because they're in the Atlanta, that Atlanta league. But getting somebody that was projected to go much higher in Whitmore and then Eamon Thompson, who looks extremely athletic, they got an athletic team already with Jalen Green, Kevin Porter, Jabari Smith. So, And Shangun is not necessarily looked at as an athlete, but he's a very good player. So things are starting to look up in Houston. With Ime Udoka, they might be some must-see TV next year. But anyway, have a good night, guys.